On the Mic with Mike Peters. My guest this week is Stephen Taylor, a Kansas City comedian. Stephen is a great dude. He moved from Louisiana and started doing stand-up in Kansas City about six years ago. He's a host and a producer, too, so we had a lot to talk about. Stephen's got one of the best bombing stories I've ever heard. Let's just say you won't be seeing Stephen Taylor in Lawrence, Kansas ever again. But he's working his way all across the country, so you might see him in a town near you this summer. I had a ton of fun with this one. I'm sure you'll love it. Please like, share, review, and subscribe to the podcast. If you like what you hear, sign up for the Patreon. It's five bucks a month. Also, follow Homebrewed Comedy on Facebook or go to homebrewedcomedy.com to see all of my show dates. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you guys next week. Take care. Peeling back my sunburnt skin I'll wait outside your bedroom I, I hope they let me in Thanks for doing this, man. I really appreciate taking the time. Dude, no problem, man. I appreciate being asked. It was uh, putting those videos out on those groups is grueling sometimes. So knowing <laughs> that anybody sees it is is nice. Well, I, yeah, I was looking through and cause I'm, I'm trying to do this thing where I want to get a comedian from every state and I'm like, I'm in New York. So I got everybody in New York covered, but who the fuck, I don't know anybody in Kansas. So believe it or not, I don't know how many, how many Kansas comedians are, are super well known, but like, I, I just can't find them. So I saw your video and holy fuck, was it funny? So I was Dude. like, I got to reach out to this guy. Thank you, man. That seriously, I. I don't know. You're a comedian, so you might get this. Every video I've ever made, I hate so much. And I, the only thing that I can go off of is like crowd noise. Yeah. And that video is done at Sisyphus Brewing in Minneapolis, which is an insanely good room. So it's like one of the only videos I'm proud of just because like I'm getting like table slaps. Yeah. Like people yeah. are just into it. It's one of those low ceiling rooms. It's great. That room's so good. I am so self-conscious of videos because I host most every show I run and you, you know, the deal, like it's yeah. like your material could be really good in the room. Like you're going to cold room. So you don't know, of course, granted your material could suck and you could just be like, wow, it was cold room. You know, there's, right. there's my excuse, but it's, it's so hard for me to get over that hump where it's like, well, I want to get a good video to send out, but I'm also introducing the comedians. You know, it's, it's an unnatural start. Because it's a kind of like a, a start and stop, you know, for me, at least I'm like, hey, everybody, welcome to the show. You're in for a treat. I have these comedians. You're ready to go. It, it's just like for me, it's it's kind of weird. So, yeah. So when I get a, a good room, then I can just go into material. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. Like, maybe I can use this. And then I'm like, oh, that joke didn't work. That's the one that always works. So I'm very particular about that stuff. Yeah, man. Trying to get a video is like the. It's the white whale for comics, you know, everything you just, it's so easy to have something fuck up. And then in your mind, you're just like, this is terrible. The waitress walked in front of the camera. Nobody's <laughs> ever going to like this. And you're like, it's okay. You know, yeah. people just, it's, it's most of it's fine, but we just hate it so much. And yeah, man, I, I host a lot of shows too. And when you're hosting, I, the thing that I cringe at, you know, is you're you're trying to be in the moment, you're trying to talk to the crowd, introduce them to the idea of even what a show is sometimes. And so you I don't know, this is at least for me, I just find myself with like host energy. 
Yeah. You know, like Stephen Brody Stevens, like RIP, but like that kind of, you know, he, he kind of teaches that, like be a good host, like have some energy, get it. And when I watch myself do that, I get very, I'm like, oh, that's not you. You're not like, you know, kind of gregarious and over the top. And so, yeah, any video I have that I like, rarely is it a hosting video. So what made you put that one online? Was it just, okay, this is this is my white whale. Like, I finally got it. I got to capitalize on it. Yeah, we went on the road last summer and the buddy that I was riding with, like he's been into all, a, a ton of festivals and you just need a good clip to get into a festival. And I had just been denied from so many. And I was like, I feel like I'm there. I just don't think that I've captured kind of what it is that I do, I guess. I don't even know what that means, but nothing <laughs> just felt right. And then we were at this room and it was like, they pay you to close out the open mic, right? To do like yeah. 15 or 30 minutes. We split it into 15 minutes. And he went to the bathroom. The night was like pretty good. The crowd was like into it. But there was just something when I got on stage, man, they were just like locked in with me. And like he was in the bathroom pissing and he came back and told me that like while he was in the bathroom, he was like, what the fuck is happening out there? Because <laughs> it was just so loud. And in the video, you can hear it. and so. I just immediately was like, all right, that's going to be the best thing that I have. I'm just going to put it out. I'm not going to worry about it. I didn't even like really edit it at all. I just yeah. like clipped it and then uploaded it. And I haven't really watched it since. I just know I watched it like one or two times and I was like, this is good. This is fine. Yeah. I love those rooms where like, and it doesn't happen so often for me, but like when people are biting at the premises and the setups, you're like, oh, wait. I got them. Yeah. Like, I did a, I just spot, I hosted a club last night and probably about three minutes in, I'm like, Oh, I can do whatever I want right now. Yep. It was like, you're, you're like watching yourself like, okay, slow down, play around with this guy. He's, he's into it. And I'm like, okay, cool. I was like very loose. There's no better feeling in the world than just being like, Oh, I don't have to be careful. Right. Like I just get, it's total freedom. And it rarely happens. Cause you're right. It's like, it takes, a very skilled comic, which, you know, I'm, I'm still starting out, you know, they yeah, say yeah. like, it's like, I'm at six years in, like, that's still like a long way to go. And then you have to have like a good room with a well-run show, which like is almost impossible yeah. <laughs> for, they're not super common. And uh, yeah, when it does happen and it's, it's nothing feels better. I, I like watching comics that I know do that well, where you just like, you go, Oh, you could do whatever you want right now. That's fun to watch. Yeah. I don't like to watch my comic friends do fine. It's so I either like them to like do that well or to bomb incredibly hard. Like I don't like anything in between. Right. I just would rather not watch it. I just want them to be above the crowd or just being completely buried <laughs> is the only way. <laughs> I'm sure all I your friends it. appreciate that. I think they all feel the same way too. I yeah. think like, yeah, I mean, our scene is pretty dedicated to still maintaining the meanness. We enjoy the kind of, you know, ribbing. And if somebody's doing weird sets or like, they're just not hitting or the crowd hates them, like getting, finding joy in that. We really, we embrace the suck. Uh, <laughs> it's a lot of fun. One of my, and I, I get it completely because like, do you produce a lot too? Yeah, so I produce a lot of shows okay. uh, and a lot of indie shows. Okay, so like I, I produce like I think it's twenty six rooms over New York right now, and I'm, nice. I'm adding them every once in a while. But so that that number hopefully will keep climbing. But 
I feel like I'm a little dead inside because I see comedy like every day and a lot of the same comedians all the time. So I've memorized their jokes. I know what jokes work consistently. I don't give a fuck. I, like, I, absol- I absolutely want those jokes to work, but I'm not laughing at them anymore. When I laugh hardest is when that joke that always works doesn't work. And right. I'm looking to my buddy's reactions and like, oh, how is he or she going to come out of this? And I'll be in the room laughing so hard at that. And I'm like, oh, I'm an asshole. But they will laugh at the same part. So, Dude, there's something so fun about seeing your friends out of their element. And when they're doing so well, they're out of their element, too, because they're just like embracing it and going through it. But like it is, it's when you see a joke that, you know, it works and it's just bombing. We were at a we did a show. We one of the hurricanes that came through Texas came through the one that JJ Watt like helped with. I can't remember. They've all got whatever yeah. names, not Katrina uh, came through <laughs> Houston and we were doing a benefit show in a gay bar. And my buddy, uh, Jeff Nelson, who's in Denver now used to do this Trump joke. And it's one of the only Trump jokes that I like, like the entire premise is just that he argues like a 13 year old yeah. to the point where you're like, Hey, you know, it's just common distraction. It's, Hey, a parent finds the kids like cigarette in a shoebox, and he's like, "Oh yeah, well, you know, Samantha has a dildo." You know, like talking about like just distractions. It's not. I'm not doing the joke justice. I shouldn't have done it, but (laughs) it's a funny joke, and he always opens it because we do indie spaces with. Did anybody in here vote for Trump? You know, and at that point, 2016, 2017, nobody was saying yes. You know, it took. The last two years of Trump were when other people started to be a little bit more brave, yep. you know, but those first two years, people were still really quiet about it. And he did it at a gay bar, which is like, you're safe. You know, yeah. you're on base. <laughs> you're good. And he goes, uh, anybody in here vote for Trump? And two hands shot up like they had been like, play- like they knew it was coming. And uh, he asked him, oh, OK, like I watched his face be like, this has never happened before. I've never had anybody say yes. Yeah. Let's see how this goes. So he goes, uh, you know, oh, really? Why? And the guy stands up to attention and goes, because I'm the chairman of the Jackson County Republican Party and I'm a proud gay man. (laughs) And then I just watched my cis straight white dude friend try to compute how to get out of this situation. And he just couldn't. He just floundered. And nobody is laughing. It's a hurricane relief show. It's already weird. And me and my other buddy are in the back howling. Like we are laughing so hard. It's the only two laughs in the room. And it's the loudest thing anybody's ever heard because just watching the scene unfold and watching him absolutely eat shit for the next 10 minutes was the best thing. (laughs) It, It couldn't, it was honestly, I don't care how, I don't think we raised any money for the hurricane relief efforts. And I still count that show as a wild success. It's still like, <laughs> it's still such a good show in my mind. Oh my God. That's amazing. <laughs> I don't know what it's, I would have done. I probably would have been in your shoes. I mean, like, and you guys probably drove up together or drowned together, right? I mean, it, it was around Kansas city. It's like just here, you oh, know? Okay, okay. I thought this was in Texas. No, this was just at a gay bar. This was, it was a hurricane. The hurricane was oh, in Texas, oh, but we were fault. just trying my to fault. like, Gotcha. We're just trying to like, you know, send some money down. Comics don't have any money. You're like, oh yeah, we'll just do this. Got it. Got it. Oh my God. That's great. Terrible. I mean, it's still in Missouri. You know, you're still not expecting that in Missouri. Like it's wild, dude. Yeah. 
Well, how's the scene? I mean, you said it's you still have the meanness in there, but is it a welcoming scene to like newcomers? Oh yeah. Okay. Dude, this is like yeah, it's surprisingly in my experiences, one of the most diverse small market scenes in the country. Like you just have a ton of representation in the scene and everybody's really welcoming, really nice, especially to newer comics. It's still, but it's still like a lot of ribbing. Like it's like, if you can't take jokes being made at your expense, you're just, you'll, you'll be able to do comedy, but it's just our friend group. You know, you have like a scene of comics who do it all the time, you know, consistently every night. And, those yeah there's still like that kind of edge to it where it's like we want to pick on each other we want to have fun but yeah really diverse really really welcoming we've got about probably 25 to 30 comics that come out nightly about you know either to a different mic or something like that probably like 20 comics that i would trust with a decent chunk of time it's it's been a good scene it's been uh fostered over the past few years and it's it's doing well what is what's it like where y'all are at it's the same. I mean, we, well, not numbers, but uh, we in Binghamton, the biggest perk of Binghamton is like it's an hour to like an hour and 20 from like five other scenes. So right. all together, man, we we probably got about, I don't know, if you go up to like Rochester, like two and a half hours away, we probably have like 100 plus comedians who really work regularly. And I know I book probably 60 or 70 of them on a regular basis and I rotate them out. But it's good. And I haven't, I mean, every scene's got drama, but in Binghamton proper, it's really a good scene right now. We're, we're very nice. welcoming to new people. People get on each other's nerves. I mean, it's, we, ha- we only have probably, I would say, 10 to 12 comedians in Binghamton who come out regularly. And, you know, so I wish the numbers were higher, but it really is a positive scene right now. And I think that, I would take a positive scene over like a more talented cutthroat scene, you know, because like it, it just at a certain point you need comedians in the scene. If they're all cutthroat and, and, you know, just assholes to each other, like maliciously, then the scene's going to die. Right. Yeah. None of that sense. None of that stuff has ever made a lot of sense. And I mean, we've got drama in the scene, but usually it's just like petty personal shit. Yeah. It's very rarely right sometimes, but it's also just like, you know, just way more relational. Like, I don't like the way that this there you talk to my ex-boyfriend, like that yeah. type of bullshit. And that's just a numbers game, right? Like once you start to get to more numbers, people start, you know, shitting where they eat and right. things get a little messy. Like that stuff happens. You know, for us, like I- I've had this thing with new comics where like anytime I run open mics, so I see new comics all the time and it's like definitely giving them encouragement. But I don't know, do you... I, I guess if your numbers are like this, for me, it's like, I just don't get attached to new comics. Like, they're like, oh, are you ignoring me? And it's like, no, I just, if you're here in a year, I'll talk to you right. a lot. You know, I'll like really, unless you're just like a really fun hang, it's like, I'm just not seeking it out because they just fall off so much. You know, yeah, when like when I, the people I started with, probably like 15 of us, there's like two now, you know, it's just like, you. it just happens. And so I think we're encouraging, but I probably wouldn't say that we're like, you know, if you're a new comic starting in, I don't know any scene that's really like that, where they're just like, come on, we're, we love new, put them on a show. I think it's like, yeah, you just gotta, that first year's kind of gotta suck. Yeah. I know for me, I was 33 when I started, cause I'm six years in now and I'm 33 and one of the oldest guys in the scene. 
And it was very weird to, for me because I moved, I'm in my hometown now, but like I, I was in Baltimore for like eight years and then I moved back. So I didn't like have any friends in the scene. So I'm this strange new guy who's now what, six, seven, eight years older than most of the people there. So I'm like, just stick out and I'm kind of introverted. So I'm at the other end of the bar when everybody's talking with each other and I'm thinking, man, I'm only, I'm starting out and I, I want to get on shows and then I'm, I'm there for a few months and jaded because I'm not getting on the shows where I absolutely believed I should have been in hindsight. No, no, I, I needed to, I needed to sit the bench a little bit longer and you know, but it, yeah, that first year sucked. Yeah. It was also fun because, Hey, I'm doing what I want to do, but it was so frustrating. Yeah. Well, and it makes your writing better. You know, it makes you yeah. a little bit more focused on, well, why am I not getting booked? And you start to look at like what you're doing and how does it add up to everybody else? And then also I have a thing with like newer comics where I'm like, I just want you to ask me yeah. like, unless you're really good. There's part of me that's like, I don't know. I just had to take so much initiative when I started that this is definitely an ego thing, I think, but I'm just like, you got to just reach out. You got to like try for it. I don't know if you had to do that, but that was like anything that I've ever gotten. Most of it has been because I've been like, Hey, what do I have to do to do this? Man, I can't and, get, I still can't do that. I really, no. In fact, like I find it as a producer, I it's weird. I find people asking me to do stuff annoying, but I'm also jealous that they can do it. Because I'm like, yeah, it's no wonder he or she is getting that because they're taking the initiative and they're they're ballsy enough to ask. And I'm like, I would never ask, but also I should probably ask. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm, it's so weird. My brain is fucked, but I get it completely. And I wish I could do that, but I can't. I think when I was first starting out, it wasn't like, hey, can I do your show? It how? was like, yeah, I think like more of how. And now that I'm like confident that like, I'm going to have a good set. It'll be a good show yeah. for me. What it's always been is like, I was going to Mike's, you know, four or five nights a week. And you're just trying to hit as many stages as you can. And then eventually, you know, there's no mics on Saturdays, really not many on Fridays, at least they weren't yeah. around here. And so it was like, well, you gotta, I gotta find stages for Friday and Saturday. And so it's kind of like a scheduling thing too. Like I'll just hit people up and be like, I'm trying to book out my entire calendar. You know, do you have anything in between these dates that you would need somebody on. And yeah, I, I think it's like, I I know a lot of people that struggle with it and it's hard for me to understand because I'm just like, I've nobody ever reached out to, you know, I had a few comics here in Kansas city that would book me, but like doing stuff outside of this city, you know, I don't know how I would have done it besides riding with other comics and tagging along and hitting up this place and then going back, you know, six months later, it was always just like, Hey, we met one time at an open mic. Can I come do your show? You know, as a producer, I, the only thing I have a problem with is if somebody asks and I tell them no, and then they get mad. Yeah. Like that's where I'm just like, okay, well, like now I'll never work with you probably because I just, it's, it's annoying to, you know, I had a guy reach out and was like, Hey, will you watch my clip? And I'd love to be booked. And I was like, Hey man, I just think you need a little bit more time. I think. You know, he's just fresh. He was like really, really green. And he was like, well, with all due respect, I think I'm the best comedian in this scene. And I don't think anybody brings to the table what I bring to the table. And it was like, all right, man, well, go start your own restaurant, I guess. Like, do your (laughs) your own thing, dude. Like, good luck to you. I hope it works out, you know. 
I had this one guy recently and he's a college kid. And again, he, he asked me, asked me to do some things and I admire the initiative, but just didn't do it in the right way. Like he, he came up to me and he goes, Hey, it was the first time he was at the open mic. He's a, he's a college kid in from long Island. And uh, I don't know if you know anything about long Island kids, but they, uh, I don't know. I don't want to say elitist, but it's Entitled. like, hey, there you go. That's the one. But it's, like, <laughs> it's like, Hey, I'm from the city. Give me, I'm like, you're also 20 and you're not funny. So no. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's not that I'm the, the arbiter of talent, but it's like, come on, like you can't jump the line that quickly. So he came over and he, I hosted the open mic and came up to a few people who are watching or comedians and is like, who do I talk to about getting on shows? And everybody pointed at me and I'm like, you fuckers. <laughs> so, uh-huh. so he came up and he goes, Hey, uh, can I do a show for you? And, you know, I just seen his set and I'm like, ah, I mean, I don't really have anything in the Binghamton area right now. Uh, I said, I have one basement show that, that I run. He goes, Oh, well, whose basement is it? And so, well, it's this, it's this guy. And I give him the name and he goes, Oh, well, I'll talk to him. I go, no, I run the show. And he goes, Oh, okay. So he ends up talking to that guy. He got, he got hold of my Facebook and the guy's like, Hey man, this guy just reached out. Uh, and, asked, and I'm like, I told him not to. So I'm like, hey, you know what? You can do a guest spot. And then he didn't show up. And like, show started at six on a Sunday. So it's like, whatever. But show started at six. He he got me, got a hold of me at 6.50 and said, hey, can I still make it over? I'm like, no. The headliner's about to go on and you can't follow him. And I'm like, no, you lost it. He goes, oh, can I do another one? Goes, no, no, you're done. Yeah. And I'm like, man, I didn't want to get you on. You had to have known I didn't want to let you on the show anyway. And I'm just a nice enough guy that I can't say no. Like, fuck off. Oh, see, that's as a, as a producer. So my initial thing is, hey, if you want to be booked, send me a tape. Like, I, I'm just like, that's the protocol for everybody, which it's not. Yeah. You I know, know. It's, yeah. it's not the protocol. But if it's somebody I don't want to, like, break their heart in person or just have an argument at a, you know, I've got a day job. I don't need to be arguing with a 20 year old <laughs> in my free time. And so I'll just be like, yeah, man, send me a clip and uh, I'll check it out because there is part of me. That's like, maybe I have only seen your bad sets. Yeah. You know, maybe you do have like a good clip. And then usually what happens is they don't take the initiative and send it. And so you're like, all right, well, this is an easy no. And then they do take the initiative and send it and it's bad. And then you, you kind of get to be like, Hey, you know, take some time, work on it. Or they send in, it's good. And you're like, okay, here's a guest spot. You know, I guess you could do five minutes. I hope it's not terrible. Right. But I think you have to be a producer in order to send stuff like that out. You know, like, I think you have to be as a producer, you're aware of like, what's good. Yeah. And what's like not good. And so you could probably, you probably have a little bit more self-awareness. I think that's why I tell people to like run shows. Yep. It's like, not only is it good networking where you're like, Hey, you know, Sometimes it sucks, but you're like, I run a show. I'll book you. Then eventually you get on a show too. Like that's part of it. But also you just learn like what is a good show and what is a bad show when it's yours. Like when you have to take ownership of it. Also, you learn how difficult or easy at times it can be to run that. So you, right. learn, you learn what to do, what not to do, how to talk to other bookers, you know, uh-huh. find out what's annoying. And I, I think everybody should host. They should host an open mic or run one or run a show. And those three things will, I don't know if it'll make you a better comedian, but it'll make you 
an easier comedian to deal with, I think. Because which is a better comedian. Yeah. That's like it'll open your mind. Yeah. And also, I mean, like being a comedian, half of it, you know, that's that old crashing thing. Yeah. Uh where Artie's like, you just gotta be a good hang. And like you get that with so many scenes that you talk to people. It's so funny to travel around and listen to everybody's got the same drama. You know, it's just different characters usually. And people are like, yeah, there's all these clicks in these scenes. And it's like, man, you just, it's just people having friends, you know, it's just, we see each other all the time. And it's like, you're either a good hang and you fit. Like we have weird people in our, in, in our groups. Like it's just about who's funny and who's fun to be around. You know, it's, there's no real rhyme or reason. I don't think I, I just don't really subscribe to the idea that people are like, I, I got to gatekeep this person out of here. It's like, no, man, you're just, you're not that fun to be around. Yeah. And I don't think you're that funny enough to justify being around yet. Like, <laughs> it's hard for me to book anybody who doesn't play well with others. And right. Like, if, if you fuck up the chemistry of the lineup, what good are you? I mean, nobody is that funny for me, at least. Like, I don't want to voluntarily hang out with somebody for two hours if I hate them. Right. Like, because it, what, you're not D.L. Hugo. You know, right, you're right. not like. You're not an amazing once in a lifetime talent. You're a local comic who's been doing it anywhere from two to 10 years. And, you know, you're just, you're another person. Like it's, yeah, there's no, anybody like that can't handle their substances or anything like that. It's like, I'm not taking a chance that you're going to be drunk for people that I made pay 15 bucks, you know? And this is only, again, if they're assholes when they're like, I got plenty of drunks that I'll let on my stage because I know that they're, <laughs> you know, at least funny. They can handle they're, it. Yeah, right. They're they're good. They're good hangs even when they're trashed, you know, but there's certain people that, yeah, I don't know, man. It's, it's fun to talk to other, especially independent bookers from around the area because, yeah, I just don't think a lot of people get it. Either people do clubs or there's only a few like big indie producers that I get to like hang out and talk with like dudes out of like Indianapolis and shit like that. We just don't have a ton around here. You know, people do like one show here or one show there, yeah. but yeah, I do think everybody should do that open mic and that producing a show. thing. One of the parts I like about doing this podcast is like, I'm reaching out to people like, like I said, all over the country. And it's just funny. Like, uh, I mean, I, it's just a coincidence that so many of the people I talk to, run shows or started around the same time I started and are going through this. I mean, maybe it's not a coincidence that they're going through the same stories, but it's like, you're right. I mean, as a comedian, it's so easy to relate to other comedians. And then the booking types, the producers, it's like a different level of like, not talent, but like, I don't know if it's frustration. We can just empathize with each other. And it's like, Oh, you too. Oh, right. it's so good to hear. Yeah, it's 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 good to feel not alone because I yeah. think every day I wake up with the dream of quitting most of my shows. <laughs> like every day I'm like, oh God, I wish I could just, you know, book myself and only focus on my comedy. But then I'm also like, you know, it's an opportunity cost. It's yep. like, it's fun. It's good. I get to host them, which is good experience. You know, I'm a, I'm a good host. So I think the shows run well. I like when things run well, you know, it's just, it's a double-edged sword where I knew that if I quit it, I'd be like, oh, fuck, man, yeah. I miss doing that show. I used to work with a, a few people in a group and I, I am totally against working with people in booking. And I'm like, no, it's just easier to do it. You know that early. And it's just, 
just cut the bureaucracy out of it. But one of the guys didn't want to produce anymore. And he's good enough. He's funny enough to not have to produce. And like, oh, you you can get booked with your own talent. I cannot. So in order for me to get on shows, I have to do the work around it. And I'm fine with it because I like doing that work. So like, yeah, I would love to not have to produce anything, kind of, because I really love producing. But like, if I was funny enough to be like, hey, man, I could still, without producing my own shows, get on, you know, 16 shows a month, 20 shows a month, whatever it is. Fuck yeah, I would do that. But also independently in this area, the money is in the producing too. So that's also. Oh, yeah, that is not the case. No, no, God, I've never made a dollar. Everything okay. I everything goes into every. This is why I probably am just like miserable with it. I, <laughs> I you know, you're paying all the Facebook ads and everything yeah. like that, and you're just hoping to get seats. And I own a venue, like an indie venue that I run with a few of my friends, and like all of our money just goes back into that. It's just it's a sarlacc pit of shit, <laughs> and you're just like, yeah, I guess I love it. You know, everything I've done has been selfish in nature, where it's like. I'm booking shows because I think it'll be good to meet other people Yeah, and they'll see me host. And I believe in my hosting skills, you know, they'll book me on things in the future, but also, you know, I think a good scene builds better comedians. And so for me, I could feel myself sometimes like getting stale. And when a new batch of comedians that are like doing new stuff and getting me excited for comedy come through you know, it, it always like is I just like want to write. I want to do more stuff like I want to try more things. And so every time I think about quitting, I'm like, oh, I got I got another like year and a half, two years in. me, <laughs> And then I've said that for the past like four years. So, you know, eventually that's going to be true and I'll pass them off to somebody. But I just I still enjoy the scene having places to work out in different rooms you know, weird shows, different shows, meeting a bunch of random people. When I got to Kansas City, like we just, we didn't really have a known scene. And really? yeah, and I mean, it was kind of, but it was kind of infamous. We had one of the worst comedy clubs in the country, uh, Stanford and Sons. And they're just, I mean, they are infamous. If you talk to people that have been in the business for 10 plus years, everybody probably knows Stanford's or knows somebody that has a horror story. Yeah. And so, we just kind of lived in the shadow of that for a while. And we've, we've had to build the indie scene kind of brick by brick. And right now it's just, it's thriving. Everything's super cool. It's, it's been great. What but do you that think, comes with, what do you think the, yeah, I mean, it, it comes with what I probably interrupted exhaustion. No, 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 no. That's it. It's just like, you're just like, Oh God. Yeah. Now I'm ready to be done with it, but there's still work. What do you think was the main ingredient to turning that scene around or at least making it better? You know, I think it was just younger comics. I think it was just fresher blood. And, you know, we we always had a desire to be inclusive, like overly so. People would sometimes call us sensitive, which I think is why we keep some of that meanness around. Because we're not like, we just think it's like, you know, I've always, every comic I've worked with in the indie scene has booked diverse lineups. Yeah. And not because you have to or you'll get called out. It's just like, this is what we should do. Like, yeah, let's just make it diverse. Why not? It's going to be a better show. And people have hustled, you know, to get different shows. The people that have run open mics, you know, it's 
it's been an amalgamation of people working really hard to, I don't know, do cool shit, I think is the kind of motivating factor for everybody. Like, oh, don't you want to do something that's fun and cool? And it, for the most part, you know, it just, people kind of build off of that. They feed off of it. And Stanford's closing down, I think was the biggest part. Maybe that's it. Maybe the two owners of Stanford and Sons died and the curse of Kansas City was lifted and they they died in like 2017. And yeah, the Indy scene has been much better since that club has closed down. Did they die together? Yeah, basically. Really? Yeah, they were two brothers. And then I think they each had their own individual cancers. Oh, wow. They were, yeah, they were, it was wild. They were the most insane people I've ever met, talked to in my life. Was everybody kind of, I wonder if the comedians were rooting for cancer at that point. I honestly, I think most of us thought it was going to be heroin or like, coke. you know, I thought it was for sure. I don't think any of us knew that they had cancer. It was like a a less iconic Norm MacDonald. It was like (laughs) they hit it from, they hit it from everybody. I think those that knew, knew, but we all just thought they were going to like, you know, they were just scummy more than anything else. And so you just thought that was going to get them. What got you started in comedy? Like uh, um, anything you watched? I mean, uh, you saw Norm on Conan. No, man. I used to, I just grew up like loving, I grew up loving comedy. I was like big into Dane Cook, that retaliation album. Yeah. And then blue collar comedy tour, like Ron White. I was just like enamored with and would always like do shower bits and shit and just never in Louisiana. There was just nowhere to ever tap into it. There was no, I've heard that too. And it's, uh, I think JP Leonard was talking. I don't know if you know him. Oh yeah. He's great. But we were talking and he's, I think he's like two hours outside of new Orleans. And right. Goes, Dude, like new Orleans is shit for comedy. And I'm like, it's how, how is that? It's possible? got one scene. It's got one show, one show and the show's good, but it's got one show. And it's on a Friday night. And it's, it's that way because it's a music town. Nobody goes to new Orleans. and is like, yeah. we got to see a comedy show. And the people that are doing comedy there, you know, the people who have made a name for themselves, Norman, Sean Patton, Andrew Polk, they've all left, you know? And I think that's, you know, is it correlation or is it causation? You know what really, but I think new Orleans could be a good scene, but just Louisiana is just not a, you know, we had a funny bone when I was growing up until I was like 15 and then it shut down. And so I just lived in Louisiana and I was just like a little comedy nerd. I just liked, liked my shit you know, like these different standups and got a chance to move out and move to Kansas city for a job. I was just like, all right, well looked up. They had an open mic. I'd been reading a book about comedy. I don't know if you've ever read sick in the head. No, uh, it's Judd Apatow's collection of interviews. So he wow. just interviewed when he was in high school, he interviewed Seinfeld in like Everybody. 84 yeah. Leno, you know, all the dudes on long Island or Staten Island. One of the two. I think it's Long Island. Yeah. Uh, and Judd Apatow uh, in that book, uh, did he have the Carlin story where I think he sent Carlin his his jokes or something like that? And Carlin yes. like Carlin wrote notes on his on it and like yeah. and left it for him to pick up. Right. Yep. What I mean what amazing. The stuff the stuff that he did, so it, it was kind of twofold reading the book is like you're talking to every single big name comedian in the past. 30 years and how they came up, how they grinded, you know, what it was like. So I kind of took that and just as soon as I got to Kansas City, 
just started doing, I had my car stolen the first day I moved here and all of my notes that I had written, all of my comedy, all of my jokes, they were shitty jokes, you know, but they were all in there. And so I still just went up and got up and I don't think I ever looked back. It was like four or five nights a week because I was alone in Kansas City. So I didn't have anything else to do. Right. So I just, I just did comedy and yeah, it's been probably nonstop for (laughs) about six years now. Did you ever get that car back? They found it six months later, which is insane because it was downtown and it was like destroyed. Like the whole interior was ripped. It was like, you knew it was stolen. It still had the plates on it and everything. And it took the cops six months to find it when it was downtown. Wild. It'd be great if like you're watching Netflix or HBO and you heard one of those jokes. (laughs) Son of a bitch. (laughs) Dude, I can't even remember on my, I have a podcast. I hate plugging podcasts, no, podcasts but we used to like, well, this is our still, our premises. We roast a comic's first set oh, or their earliest recorded set. You guys are awful people. Well, yeah, we sit down with them <laughs> and we all watch it That's together. Worse. <laughs> oh, it's You're so bad. Through it? Oh. Yeah. They, then they just like the face that they make. And so to make it even, we would always try to play a clip of us bombing because we were doing open mics every week. So you were getting plenty of fodder for, you know, these bombs. And yeah, man, it would like you would, we played notes one time and the notes, I remember one of these jokes was we we ran out of bombs. So we just played audio notes for us. Oh, way worse. (laughs) Way, 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 way worse. And, uh, I was going through some material that I remember was on those first notes. Cause it was when I was driving to Kansas city, I was making these audio notes and it was this just rambling about fences and how they divide us. And like, that's what is the worst part about society. Like just these very Carlin esque, yeah. not funny, just philosophical bullshit ramblings. And I've never been more embarrassed in my entire life. <laughs> Knowing that if somebody made it on HBO with a fences routine, I'd be like, all right, <laughs> you deserve to find those notes. You deserve to do something with them because they were trash. They were terrible. Oh, I, every yeah. once in a while, I go back and look at like, like, especially if I'm struggling to write, I'm like, I go back and I'm, I'm like, okay, let me, let me check the archives and see what I got. And I read through the joke and I'm like, there is no punchline there. No, Anywhere not close. even a little bit. I was, nope. like, I was like, man, I was watching way too much Birbiglia. Because uh-huh. that guy, that guy can sell it with a pause or a face right. or an inflection. And this guy over here can't do it. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I'm all cadence right now. That's what yeah. he was like, yeah, man, you're focused way more on the sounds of it than the jokes of it. Yeah. That's, I used to catch myself in video, like doing John Mulaney. Oh, me too. Which is like, what were you doing? Well, I would do the sing song and I would be like, uh, you know, the big one that I see most comics do. And I can remember like me doing it and being like, that's probably a terrible sound for an audio. It's me closing the blinds. This is my ADD at work. I'm just walking around. You know what? I wasn't going to mention this, but you took your garbage out and you open the door, you close the door, you put the trash out and a plastic bag didn't make a sound. I was being, I was, it was amazing. And I'm like, well, I won't, I won't reference this at all because that's incredible. But you pointed out the blinds. So (laughs) if you're going to feel bad about that, I'm at least going to plug you and say, Hey man, you were great on that other stuff. 
<laughs> I appreciate I appreciate when people pay attention to greatness. You know, it's just. <laughs> so what are you do, oh, doing with, uh, that made you think of Mulaney? I it's the thing that you know. I, I feel like you see some comics do this where they go, you know, like yeah. a liar, like oh, yeah. that. Yeah. That like it's where the misdirection is. You know, the joke is like you're just saying exactly what it is. Yep. But it's that cadence, that rhythm. Mulaney has that like very musical tone. Yep. You know, his whole thing is so. That's why all of his bits are easy to memorize. Is oh, because about that. they're yeah, it's melodic. If you yeah. listen to it, like you could chart Mulaney in like you could do like sheet music for a Mulaney bit, and it would make sense. And yeah, it becomes very easy to kind of get into your brain. You know, Ron White kind of had that too where you could just steal kind of his attitude or cadence a yeah. little bit. Well, I think Stephen Wright is very dangerous. Like, when, Oh God. Yeah. When you're, when you're a one-liner comedian and I, I'm not one-liner now, but like I'm most of my jokes start with a one-liner and I'm like, I get that. And like, okay, that, that idea is good. Let me work off of that. So when I was doing one-liners, I was very close to Dimitri Martin and you know, him and Stephen Wright and Mitch Hedberg, they fucked a lot of comedians by being so good at what they do because like they have now, you can't say a one-liner with a monotone because Stephen Wright's already done that. And right. It, and it's, I, it's very easy to fall into that trap. I've got a buddy of mine who he does one-liners and Stephen Wright is, you know, probably his biggest inspiration yeah. and he is a monotone guy and it, it makes it tough. Now his jokes are, you can tell by his writing that he's a different joke writer than Stephen Wright was. He's got some things, you know, Stephen Wright has like the earth is bipolar, yeah, you know, and like those kind of like jokes, he's got some of those, but what he substitutes it for is like his personality on stage. It, it shines through in the downfall of the jokes. So like, it's, it's way more about the moments in between the jokes than it is about the jokes themselves. And it's it's interesting to watch him have to play with it, you know, because he is just a monotone dude and his brain thinks in one line. You know, he just writes some of the funniest shit that I know, like some of my favorite jokes. My favorite creation myth is that my parents were in love is like one of my favorite <laughs> jokes of all time. And like when he tells them, it is fun to watch. Yeah, it, it, they they uh, those three are so good and one liners are so tough that it's it's almost impossible to be a great one-liner comic now, but that's who I like to travel with. Like if I'm on the road with somebody, I want them to be one-liner comics. Usually. Just because of the way they think or because the way they think is fun, the way they think is fun. But also like, if you're part of me is like, if you don't like me, you're going to like this. Okay. Right. Like I'm going to be a little bit more drawn out. I'll have some little throwaway lines here and there, you know, little joke, little jokey jokes as I call them, you know, but the other part is like, especially if somebody's opening for me, like having a one-liner gets the crowd on the side of this is a show and these are jokes. Right. And sometimes I do story telling that is mostly like joke, like less for Bigley and more Mulaney, I think, mm -hmm. where it's just more jokes than it is story. And sometimes people get like, I don't know, it's just nice to have like a reminder like, hey, these are jokes. This is a show. This is an act. There is no like feeling that you're getting in one-liners. No like, oh, what's the plot of this? Or where is this going? Or 
it's like, oh, these are very stupid, very dumb people standing on stage just trying to make us laugh. I don't know. It's like it sets the stage for this is a show. Yeah. When I was doing one-liners, I tried so hard to be Demetri Martin, too. And I'm like, okay, well, because I love Carlin, and he's got some one-liners, but like usually that's how he started his, his shows. But Demetri Martin, I'm like, oh, it's I love the way his brain works, and it's funny to I, – I watched him tell a joke one time, and like 12 people got it, and I'm like, I fucking was one of those 12. But I, right. I would tell these jokes where they were really funny to me, and they weren't about me. I'm like, oh, but – I feel like maybe the jokes weren't good, but like the audience wasn't getting to know me either. And I feel like the one-liners I tell now are about me for the most part. So like they can at least get to know me and get a sense. So even if they don't like the joke so much, they're at least getting to like me and root for right. me. So yeah, but when I work with one-liners and we have a few in the scene, they're fun to watch, but I love watching them because like that joke doesn't always hit with everybody that joke kills with everybody. And I just, I love watching the reactions of people and, and what goes on. So yeah, I, I get, and it is, I do feel like it's a safety guard too, at times. Like if this is a really proficient one-liner comedian, you can count on laughs. You know, he's going to have 50 jokes and 45 of them are definitely going to get a laugh. It's not like he's cheating, but feels like it a little bit I'm like, Oh, you're not telling stories. That's the easy way to go, but they're fucking hard to write one-liners too. It's the hardest. Yeah. I've never been envious of any one liner comic because it's just like, it seems so hard. Well, just my brain just doesn't think, right. Yeah. My brain just doesn't think that way. And I will say, even my friends that are like, they write dumb one liners, like they're just like goofy. Like those can get laughs too, just on the premise of, I can't believe another human being thought about this. (laughs) Like this just seems so stupid or set it into a microphone. Like, yeah. You know, there's sometimes that stupidity just kind of wins out and one-liners can be very stupid where if you tell a sad story, everybody's like, God, come on. This is sad. Yeah, (laughs) sad one-liners can be hilarious. How do you deal with when somebody says, aw? I yell at them. (laughs) (laughs) I think that is the worst sound when you're on stage. Yeah. I'd rather hear nothing. I have one joke where I want to get it. Yeah. Where I like, that's what I'm going for. Because it's such a it's it's such a long draw to get there that it I want it to hit so hard that it's like I want to hit hear people groan and I want to hear people go Jesus Christ <laughs> and then I want to hear people laugh really hard and it gets that almost every time if I get all groans then I'm just like y'all are weak <laughs> like it's a funny you should know that it's a joke you know I did a show last night and I heard. It did really well, but there was one point I have to watch the tape again to make sure it was complimentary, but, but I was probably four or five minutes in and I had a bunch of like semi one-liners in there and it was, uh, there's one on like kidnapping, uh, kind of, a I don't know. It's not, not pedophilia. It's, it's adjacent. So (laughs) something about how I thought my ex-girlfriend thought of her, like, like she was my favorite pair of old socks worn and unsupportive but uh she's in my house and i'm familiar with all the holes and like they're going really well and then somebody says who is this guy (laughs) (laughs) i'm like like, whatever they're not gonna have me back anyway and i got a really good laugh but i i think it was like oh i've never heard of this guy before i love stuff like that you know where it's like let's 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 uh talk with the audience a little bit and it's just a different response but 
oh, I I never do well. I'm like, yeah, I'm working through it. <laughs> like, like I wrote this right. for you to laugh. Like, come on. The whole purpose of this was for you to giggle. And if you don't, just be quiet, you know, yeah. just save your groans for yourself. Yeah, those are my favorite, man. Those Those bad shows where the audience just doesn't click with you. It's the best. It's the best. Best story. It's the best stories. You know, it's like, yeah, everything I do is like, at least it's got to be like fun. You know, so anytime I've like bombed or anything like that, I at least like usually end up with a good story from it because it's really like, I'm just such a bad comedian. It's just like me and the crowd did not click and I can probably pinpoint where it went wrong. (laughs) And it's fun to think about, you know. What's the worst set you've ever had? You have a, a favorite story from that? I'm like, I'm banned from a couple. I'm banned from Lawrence, Kansas, almost exclusively. <laughs> <laughs> How did that happen? I, uh, Lawrence, Lawrence is a big blue dot in a big red state. Very, very liberal town, but it's very white liberal. Yeah, It's very like, you know, it, it's, it's almost like if Twitter um, went to college and <laughs> I'm progressive. Like I, my material is progressive. I've run it in any type of room you can imagine. And I stand by it through and through. And even my Twitter friends are like, this is good material. But if I am in a situation where people aren't listening to me and they're hearing like maybe every other word, yeah, you know, they're not engaged, it can go sideways. And that definitely happened in Lawrence. I got like booed out of the venue essentially. Um, yeah, it was, a, it was one of my best moments i think this is like i still i talk about it all the time i don't know if you know rena calm yet she's one of my favorite comics uh she was that was like the night that we met she was on that show with me and she told the crowd she was like y'all are assholes y'all are terrible people like it just 100 had my back because she was like it just it was not going to go well from the start it was a poetry night and then the next show was the comedy that same night and uh you know, the host of the poetry mic started it and was like, started the comedy show. I was like, all right, y'all, we're going to move to a comedy show, you know? And I was like, does anybody have any objections? <laughs> and nobody said anything, thank God. But then he doubled down and was like, I said, does anybody have Why? any objections? Get off the stage. <laughs> As if he's like, you know, you're not making enough noise or something. Like, he's just like trying to get some reaction. And uh, finally, the comedy host gets up, bombs, does not get their attention, does not do hosting stuff, just gets up and starts his material. Yeah. And so I'm up next and I'm like, well, I'm at least going to get their attention. And so I come on stage. I was like, I'm trying to do the hosting. I was like, how's everybody doing tonight? They kind of did the same thing. Nobody really clapped. And I was like, oh, is everybody sad? Everybody sad here? Is it the poetry? Huh? Was it the poetry before? <laughs> and this chick in the front row goes, no, it's the comedy. And I was like, well, I've just started. So it, you just might be sad in general, which makes sense. You chose to wear Norts out on a Friday night. <laughs> I was like, you're not hopeful for anything. And that would have worked in most other rooms. And from that point on, it was it was Bomb City from there. Like I was just too mean up front. Yeah. And then so I started talking about race. Uh, <laughs> Why not? Well, you know, a lot of my material at that time was like my family's problematic and kind of making fun of them. Right. But if you don't realize that I'm making fun of problematic people, it can seem to them like I am being problematic. Yeah. And uh, 
dude, they were just not having it. And so at a certain point, uh, oh God, I started fake crying on stage because they were like, the crowd was like yelling at me, like you're being an asshole, all this stuff. And so I start like pretending to cry. And I said, guys, I'm really, really sorry about this. I didn't mean to like make anybody uncomfortable. I don't want to like, you know, upset anybody by talking about race. It's just, you know, the only thing I think about, right. I'm just a white millennial. It's the only thing on my mind. And I'm fake crying. And I was like, we're going to get on. The show's going to be really good tonight. I appreciate y'all. We're just going to move on. And I'm going to finish this. Okay. And then I said, uh, how do you guys feel about the OJ Simpson case? And <laughs> the crowd, I mean, it's the loudest booze I've ever heard in my entire life. And I know, I know this sounds like a bit. I swear to God, it's not. Rena will back it up. There were two women sitting in the front corner who were heckling me the loudest the entire time. And together, they put their hands on their nose and just went <laughs> like, like a cartoon, like a cartoon. I've never experienced anything like it since, but I just, I tucked my tail. You know, they say to go out on the loudest laugh or the yeah. loudest move. And I definitely didn't leave them wanting more, but I, <laughs> What I made, threatened them that I would stay. What made you think of fake crying? Dude, you're just, when you're up there, you're just, I mean, I had went through everything. I was like, at a certain point, I remember being like, what do y'all even want to talk about? You don't want to talk about, right? You want me to talk about social media? They were like, no. I was like, you want me to talk about my dick? They were like, no. I was like, well then. That's all I got. Well, yeah, I don't know what you want from me, you know? And so then I'm just, at a certain point, you're embracing the bomb. You're like, oh, yeah. God, this is the worst set I've ever had and you know then you're, it's fight or flight mode and so you're just trying to find a way to I don't know antagonize them the same way they're antagonizing you you know I've had I've had another show go sideways where like some lady like demanded that I say the n-word like because I was joking about people saying the n-word and she was like just say it and I, like when you're in those moments you're like well what do I do now and yeah. so I just remember and just being like, this feels like a trap, you know, this is like, the, you're not very good at playing traps. And then I just started joking about how funny would it be if this was the time I decided to say it, you know, like she asked me three times to say it. And then I was like, well, now yeah. here it goes, you know, at this random Thursday night show. And so I think, yeah, fake crying. I still kind of like do that now. Like that became a part of my act where like, I'll still talk about race and I'll make fun of them for getting a little uncomfortable. And I'll be like, I don't want to upset y'all. You know, we'll talk about something else. And then I'll do the OJ case. I think that's genius. I really, I, I just do. I'm, I'm floored. I don't know what to say. Like, that is such a great fucking move. It, it really, it's a, it's a fun, it feels fun every time. And it came out of like immense pain. It came out of just like the worst bomb of my life. And I was just like, you know, trying to have fun, trying to get it. I remember at one point, uh, I looked to the host who was a black dude and this lady goes, don't look to him. Don't look to him for help. And I was like, I was just trying to do a bit. And so that was when I started like fake crying. Okay. I was like, I'm really sorry guys. You know, I've made a mistake here. And yeah, at that point it's just about trying to give them a middle finger. You know, <laughs> if the ship's going down, I'm driving it. I did one poetry show where it was a, a benefit for something. and the producer didn't he didn't have a plan 
So I came in there and I was supposed to host the comedy portion. Well, I, I, I'm sorry. I, I hosted the whole show. And he's like, well, I guess like people can go up whenever they want. I go, I don't think that's going to work. Uh, I said, I said, we had poets, we had a musician and we had comedians. I go, what if we have the musician go up first, warm up everybody, then have, I mean, like I did my material up front and then we had the musician and then the poets. I said, then we take like a 10 minute break, 20 minute break, something like that. And then I'll come up again and, and warm up the crowd and then we'll do the comedy. And he goes, yeah, that might work. I go, it's the only way it's going to work. <laughs> because the two poets were so depressing and whatever. I mean, it, you got to be in a depressive state, I think, to write something moving like that. So it's no fault of their own. But the first comedian to come on after right after the poet is going to suck regardless. I mean, oh, they're, yeah, they're buried. Yeah, no, there's nothing you can do. I had to I, I did a lupus benefit one time where they had an R&B guy go up right before me and sing a song about the struggle of life <laughs> and then kind of relate it to lupus. And then the next jump, they were like, and now give it up for your host and MC, Steven Taylor. Like, that's just like the jump. And it was yeah. Like, you're putting me into a, into a bad corner. Like, there's nothing I can really do. I either have to make fun of this situation. Which is rude. Tough, yeah, especially yeah. at the benefit. Or <laughs> I just have to pretend like it's not happening, which is the least funny thing I can do. Yeah. Like, everybody's aware that it just happened. And, uh, yeah, man, bomb there, too. You can make a case that, an easy case, that the host should be paid more than, like, the feature act. Maybe not the headliner, but the feature because of all the bullets they have to take up front. On the on some of those shows, yeah, if it's a benefit show, absolutely. You know, if it's like a, if you're going to be in a weird situation at all, then absolutely, you got to get paid a little bit more, more than fifty bucks. Well, it's has that's been. crazy, right? I mean, the story is good, but you need more than that. I mean, to keep you coming back and doing it again. Yeah, or you can just get banned, and they can just not let you back <laughs> at all. You can just I forgot about that option. You're right. You're absolutely right. Michael. Yeah, they they can just that that restaurant finally shut down. So I won, but uh, man, <laughs> a whole battle. So you go by formerly Fat Steven, and that was one. Of the that's bits. my. That's only on my uh, Instagram. That's like okay. my social medias and all that. It's just because Steven Taylor is not memorable in any way, shape, or form. So. People just associate it with Steven Tyler. So I'm like, well, I have this bit that I do that's about being called Fat Steven. Do and you, so, do you? I'm curious because how much did you weigh before you lost weight? I was like 330, and now I'm like, I got down to 250, and now I'm like 270. So the bit is like, I'm still kind of fat. Like that's right. in the bit is like you're still fat, but formerly Fat Steven just it's it's. To me, it's a joke, but yeah, some people think it's like, oh, this guy's on a weight loss journey. It's like, no. <laughs> well, I do wonder though, like, is part, I mean, I assume the bit usually works and you're kind of like, okay, well, I can snag onto that so people remember it this way. But I do wonder, is part of the reason you made that your handle so you have to stay below 330? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yes, that okay. is part of it. I can't, right, okay. I can't get back to being like huge. It can't, it's not funny. If I am like incredibly fat again, yes. like it doesn't work at all. So it is also like, uh, I do still take before pictures. Like I do still have hope that I'm going to lose some weight or that I just won't stay, you know, I won't let it get out of control. Yeah. Yeah. It, it definitely was a motivating factor when you pay 
I have a domain name for it now. That's like seven bucks a month. That's like a gym <laughs> membership. <laughs> yeah, you don't need to go to the gym now. You got the the domain. I mean, right? I'm working out at home. Yes, that's enough to like not eat that second donut. Exactly. <laughs> I have a buddy. Uh, I'm a big punk rock fan, and one of my favorite bands is No Effects. And Fat Mike is the lead singer of No Effects. So yep. I have a buddy who's a huge No Effects fan. His name is Mike. We called him Fat Mike in high school because at that time, I think he was like 260, 270. And he's always been the Fat Mike of the two Mikes. And then over the pandemic, I put on like 40 pounds. And I'm like, fuck me. Like, I have to be always a little bit less than him. Otherwise, I become Fat Mike. Like, yep. I, that's a legit fear I have. That's a concern. Yeah, that's yeah. a good friend to keep in your entourage. You know, you yeah. just got to have a different fat guy with your name. That's good. <laughs> I just, I, I think that's great. I mean, I have a hand. I just changed my Instagram handle. Uh, it was, I had sex with Mike Peters because there was a story that I had in college where I got super drunk and a friend of mine, it was, I was hanging out in my future girlfriend's room. And then a friend of hers wrote on the whiteboard, I had sex with Mike Peters. And then my ex-girlfriend, like fresh ex-girlfriend, walked out of her room, saw that whiteboard, and was pissed off at my future girlfriend. I don't know if you could follow any of that. Yeah. But the, the future girlfriend said, oh, I know why she gave me that side eye. She saw the whiteboard. So my friends made t-shirts that said, I had sex with Mike Peters. And we Amazing. all over college. And it was great. Like I had professors who came up to me like, uh, I saw that shirt. I'm like, oh, so when I got an Instagram, I put that store, th that handle, I had six of my Peters on there and I had it for like six years. And I'm like, oh wait, now I just saw it published and I'm, I'm giving out cards to businesses to try to book. I'm like, well, I should probably, you know, change that to Mike Peters comedian, but yep. uh, it's, it's so fun to have like that, that story attached to the handle. It's a good one, you know, and mine used to be like just Stephen Dot Taylor KC or something. Like I've never been like, oh, I'm gonna be Dick's not 32 or whatever. <laughs> like I just I've never had that inclination. All of my usernames have always sucked. I've just never been that creative. And so even formerly fat Steven, I'm like, it's not good, but it's catchy. Right. It's like people will at least remember it. And it also is FFS, which in internet speak is for fuck's sake. Oh, and I didn't know that. I love that. And then nobody else catches it, but I saw FFS and I was like, all right, yeah, I could do that. <laughs> well, what, uh, I mean, what are you working on? I mean, what you, I know you're going on the road, what, uh, the middle of March. I mean, mm -hmm. so what are you working on? What, what do you want to promote for yourself? Cause it seems like you're very busy. I mean, you were just in Tulsa last night, right? Yeah. Uh, I've got a lot of, you know, I'm just trying to do as many as I can, uh, anywhere that I can. So yeah, I'm on the road for like the next week and a half. And then yeah, it's just road shit from here through the summer. I'll be on the East coast all summer, Midwest kind of just running through the gamut. And I, I run barrel of the bottoms in Kansas city. That's a uh, club. Or yeah. It's like a venue. We have podcast studio and all that, but then uh, my podcast will eventually come back where we sit down and make fun of people's first sets. So I just run all that. Really. It's, it's just kind of, I think, what everybody's everybody's main comedy grind, road shows and podcasts and producing. You know, it's like the big three. What's your favorite part about being on the road? I just like meeting new people and new comics. Like, I just like comics. Like, if I'm hanging out with people, I 
you know, it's the thing where you just kind of get, boy, you're like, oh, I, was, I wish a comedian was here. Yeah. You know, and all of my friends that aren't comics, they're the funniest people that I know, you know, like it, it just has to be funny. And so very rarely when you're on the road, are you, you know, having very serious discussions that aren't at least somewhat joking, you know, there's, it's just a fun time. I just new crowds, being able to do new, you feel like you're building some fans, whatever that feels like. It just feels like some momentum, you know, people that see you at this random bar pay nothing start following you because they're like yeah let us know when you come back through and then you see three people at the next show and you're like oh look at that you know that's something that's like it's they're there to see you right or they're just like i knew about it through you like oh yeah we had fun last time it's like yeah this is is nice do you have a favorite state you performed in i just like minneapolis so much yeah well is that because that's that's a comedy town yeah, and that club is good. And, you know, I did a Don't Tell There, which was like in an auto garage, and that was good. Yeah, I, my favorite like comedy place to travel is there. And then my favorite just regular place is probably Florida or North Carolina. Do you ever think about relocating or are you happy where you are? I've, I've got a like a year old, and so he'll be in, he'll, he'll finish school in a year and a half. And then I might try and do new york or la or you know you just feel like you have to right so i don't know it's a possibility but i'm just trying to maximize everything i can out of kansas city you know squeeze it for everything i've got so that's why i'm on the road so much is just trying to build connections and stuff i never i never got to um i saw royals game so i got there uh but like i've been all through missouri and uh i wish i'd like actually gotten to like hang out in the state a little bit. Uh, but yeah, that's, I mean, I rarely am in the middle of the goddamn country. You don't want to be in the state. You want to be <laughs> in either St. Louis or Kansas city, right? You don't want to be in Missouri. You want to be in one of those two. And there's, it's not surprising that both of those are on the border of other states. Yeah. Yeah. Like they are as far away from being in Missouri as they can possibly be where half of Kansas city is in Kansas. And half of St. Louis, East St. Louis is in Illinois, is it not? I think you're it's right. in Illinois or yeah, Indiana, one of those one of those states. We went to a uh, buddy of mine and I were big baseball fans. And we drove from I picked him up in Pennsylvania. I met him in Pennsylvania and we drove through the night to Kansas City. And then we we stayed in Independence. Yeah, and then, sucks. Yep. We stayed there and then went to the game. And came right back and drove all the way to St. Louis. The next game's cool. Yeah, oh, yeah. stadium's cool, dude. I'm telling you, the the coolest part about Kansas City and that stadium, Kauffman Stadium. It was back then. They had holy shit. It was a long time ago. I'm just remembering. Um, God damn, I forget the I forget the name. He just retired. The left fielder. Uh, shit. Alex Gordon. Yes, Alex Gordon. It was so long ago that he was a prospect that didn't work. And they they had him in AAA the last half of the year, but like his face was still on the marquee, like outside. And so that that point, he was a third baseman who was trying to play the outfield, or they were trying to teach him the outfield in, in the minors. And then he turned wow. into an amazing left fielder. Yeah, but that's how long ago it was. But we drove out there. The coolest part I thought, aside from like the actual stadium, was that the only hats we saw were Kansas City and Oakland. Because those are the teams that were playing. There weren't a whole lot of Cubs hats 
or Braves. No, fans. yeah. It was like they were just fucking Royals fans for the most part. And it was really cool to watch. Yeah, it's a fun, it's a uh, it's a fun environment. I've liked, you know, North Louisiana didn't have a ton of anything. You know, the Texas Rangers are close by. Everybody's a Braves fan. Yeah. And so it's been nice to be in a sports town. And then I got here right after the Royals won the World Series. And then I got here right before the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. Oh, and the St. Louis Blues did well. Yeah. You know, every everything so it's are you, been it's are been you, all right. Are you a Kansas City fan? I mean, was it was really easy to pick up a new team when you're from Louisiana where you've got the Saints and like nothing else. Right. Well, and I'm a I'm a diehard Colts yeah. fan. Oh, okay. I'm a diehard Colts fan. I like the Pistons, a, you know, a little bit. Then I, I kind of fell off a of basketball and then I was always a Braves fan. And so, yeah, whenever I got here, I'm a fan of party. You know, I'm a fan of like everybody having a good time. Right. And so if my friends are happy, I'm happy. So as long as they're when the Chiefs play the Colts, I root for the Colts. And if they play anybody else under any situation, I'm, you know, gung ho. I think I've got a Chiefs shirt. Yeah. Break like, um, yeah, I'm there. I'm not, I'm not buying the jersey. I would say the Royals for a long time were like my AL team. And then I'm a big Mets fan. So I was rooting. So oh, I'm hard. sorry. I was so rooting so hard for them to beat the Giants and they lost. And yes. And I think it was game seven. Bumgarner handled yeah. them. But yeah. then the next year, I wanted to root for the Royals and the Mets got there. I'm like, no. And they were so goddamn good. They yep. were like that team, that that pitching staff, the defense. It was like they were playing the Mets are playing the computer on hard mode. Like Yeah, it's the best bullpen in the like yeah. 20 years, I think yeah. they said like that bullpen was just insane. Yeah, I mean, you get to the sixth inning and I mean they all threw harder than the, the last pitcher, and you're like, fuck, the Mets can't win. And the Royals weren't gonna make an error. So you had to hit a home run and Jesus, they couldn't hit a home run. So no. I think it was a five game series and oh, it was just tough to watch. And especially because the Mets that year, they swept the, swept the Cubs and then yep. LCS and they, they beat the Dodgers with Kershaw and Granke and Daniel Murphy goes nuts. And then nothing in the world series. It was so frustrating to watch. I wanted to root for Kansas city. Couldn't they, it was a, it was a great time to be, around here people were thrilled because that was the first time since like 84 85 yeah yeah because the the royals won in 85 the mets won in 86 so either oh way, wow either way it was been big. A, a pretty big drought but i mean and i mean the royals were due i mean the giants had won the year before and i'm like ah that's fine and man but at least they were like a homegrown team and like all these guys like they were only going to have one chance you know, I mean, I guess too, but like that was one of the last chances they were going to have for a while. Everybody knew it. Yeah. So, yeah. And it was fun to get them. Yeah. Yeah. But dude, it was so much fun talking to you. I mean, uh, uh, is there anything else you want to plug? Uh, I think that's it. Just follow me at formerly fat Steven. And, and I think that's most of it. Well, if you come out to the East coast, you're going to North Carolina. And if you get up to New York, let me know and give me as much notice as you can. And I'll, I'll get you on and you won't have to host the show. Hey, perfect. I'll let you, uh, I'll, I'll hit you up, uh, here in the next like couple months and we'll figure something out. Yeah, dude. And, and again, man, thank you so much for doing the podcast. Dude. And thanks for having me. Man. Of course. Of course. Best luck. And, and I just got to commend you again for taking out your garbage. I mean, it, it, <laughs> I, you know, this is a, this is an audio only podcast, but I had the video. I might cut the video just to send it out to people say, Hey, this is how it's done. 
People are going to think you edited the sound out. That's going to be what they, you know, true. for what it's worth. I didn't take it all the way to the dumpster. We'll test that one out at another time. I'll just leave this bag <laughs> out there until the next time we chat. <laughs> See if I can get it out there quietly. <laughs> that works for me, man. Oh, well, this has been a lot of fun, Mike. I appreciate it, man. You got it, man. Well, you know, best luck with everything. And I'm sure I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, man. You too. Peeling back my sunburnt skin I'll wait outside your bedroom I, I hope they let me in